You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Edelman online evangelist Phil Gomes goes on the record. The online program needs to, for lack of a better term, melt into the program, the the overall communication strategy. And that by sort of inelegantly bolting it on, um, it just just sort of misses the point. And and it it becomes more of a marketing exercise than an actual practical solution for a client. Um, People need to look at blogs as a tool. Um, and um, there's a great, I, I believe it's uh, Black & Decker's marketing mantra. Um, people, people don't buy Black & Decker products because they need quarter-inch drill bits. People bl- buy Black & Decker products because they need quarter-inch holes, right? And so, um, you know, people should be in the business of saying, okay, well, if you've got that quarter-inch hole, we need to, you know, figure out what the proper solution is for you. And... There are certain things for which I think a blog is great, is the perfect tool, is the perfect thing that a company needs to, you know, provide a platform for open communication, you know, two-way communication, listening to their audience and, you know, participating in those conversations. Um, but I don't think it's for everybody. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's what I see as part of my role is, I mean, I think it would be very easy, particularly with the energy around blogs these days, right? I think it would be very easy to, to try to sell a blog to everybody because, uh, you know, people got that Business Week, you know, May 2nd, 2005 issue. Uh, blogs will change your business, catch up or catch you later, right, is what it said. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure that landed on every Dilberti and pointy man, pointy-haired manager's desk. And they looked at it, and, okay, blogs are important, you know, Johnson, make it so. <laughs> and, you know, poor Johnson has to run around and, and take care of it. Um, but, again, got to think of, you know, quarter-inch drill bits, quarter-inch holes. And welcome to another edition of On the Record Online. This is the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. Uh, we do in-depth, one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as, from time to time, discussions with influential bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the media business as we know it. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman, and I am the founder and president of iPressroom Corporation. We help organizations integrate the web into their marketing communications and PR initiatives. I am also personally and professionally interested in how technology and the internet are changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Today we have a one-on-one interview with Phil Gomes. He is the Senior Counselor of Online Communications at Edelman. Um, He was recently joined by Steve Rubel, formerly of Cooper Katz and the Micropersuasion blog. And in addition to the interview with Phil, uh, we have a short interview with Phil uh, with Steve Rubel that we are going to play after the interview with Phil. So you'll get them both here in this program. If you have suggestions or comments uh, for guests you'd like to hear on the show in the future, we welcome them. Uh, and there's two ways to get them to us. 
the first is by posting them to the blog at www.spinfluencer.com. That's my blog, and you can also get uh, the podcast there. Or you can uh, go to the uh, website uh, where the podcast is actually located, and that's www.ontherecordpodcast.com. Uh, I wanted to mention a few upcoming guests that will be appearing in future episodes. Uh, we are going to be sitting down with uh, Robert Scoble and Shell Israel and uh, doing a podcast with them. Uh, we are going to be talking to Dan Gilmore. Uh, we are going to be talking to J.D. Lassica. Uh, we are going to be talking to Katie Payne. Um, and we are going to be talking to several others. Um, all of these are going to be recorded next week at the New Communications Forum, which is happening March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in Palo Alto uh, at the Palo Alto Sheraton. More information on that at newcomforum.com. Uh, and now, without any further ado, I am going to play for you the interview with Phil Gomes. As always, it comes to you entirely unedited after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPress Room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPress Room. Tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPress Room, always on, even when you're off. Phil Gomes, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. And you really are joining me. I mean, this is actually the first time, with the exception of the Walt Mossberg podcast, that I'm actually in person with the person that I'm talking to. Well, I'm, I'm in good company then. Right. Yeah, but the thing is, I don't know. I mean, usually it's easier when it's over the phone, because when you're over the phone, you don't have to look at the person. <laughs> and <laughs> you can go on your computer, and you know you can do things in the background and get ready. Now yeah, I'm you're really stuck with me now, buddy. <laughs> Got to be on now, you know. I got to, I got to try to live up to my, uh, up to. Um, well, the funny thing is, the funny thing is, you said, well, you know, usually I don't have to look at the person, and now you're, you know, stuck here with this ugly mug. So, <laughs> self-deprecating humor will get you everywhere. <laughs> try to hide so, over here. So, I, I'd like to talk about first. You had mentioned that uh, Constantin Bastura, yeah. who runs the uh, the new PR wiki. Correct. Um, Keeps a timeline yes, of uh, developments in the PR blogosphere. Correct. And yes. that uh, he's got you pegged as the first blogger. Pretty much. So far, so far, I am the first PR blogger. I need to qualify that. Uh, the first PR blogger uh, with first post sometime in August 2001. Um, this whole thing started actually where it, it was it was kind of funny and, and in retrospect terribly childish. Um, where um, Stephen Baker from Business Week uh, posted something on his blog, and, and, he, and, he, and it, it was a, it was a case of poor word choice. He said, um, uh, "Steve Rubell, the doyen of PR blogging, pointed me to this." And um, doyen, he you know scurried back, and he you know decided to shake his funk and wagnalls, and he read that you know means like sort of something like elder statesman or something like that. It was just. So um, it started this little, you know, round robin in the blogosphere, as these things tend to happen. And I decided to, you know, just to be snarky, I <laughs> clicked around, and I was like, well, of, of all the, at least all the PR blogs that I read, and I read an awful lot of them, um, I was the first. So I decided to, you know, beat my chest about it online. But I said, I said, look, um, I may not be 
the first one by a long shot, so I'm opening this up. You know, somebody please leave a, a comment in my comment field here um, if, in fact, you had a post before August 2001 and you could be considered a PR blogger, you know, this, that, the other thing. And then um, Constantin just sort of, you know, took it and ran with it, and um, uh, he put it up on the on the new PR wiki, and uh, so far I'm, I'm, I'm still the first. Um, which is cool, uh, but uh, I'd have to say that, um, and this is something that I mentioned on my blog recently, that, that 2005 really seemed to be a, the year where there were a lot, there was just an explosion of really, like, really uh, thoughtful new PR blogosphere voices. Um, John Wagner at Wagnercom, uh, Scott Baradell at Idea Grove, um, uh, Donna Papacosta. Um, there were quite a few, like in 2005, that just you know started up. So it's it's becoming a, a very rich sort of um, a rich environment that I that I feel like I've gotten more out of than uh, my past dealings with perhaps you know professional organizations in our industry. I, I feel that I've learned more from that and have networked more from that than from my flirtations with, you know, the various, you know, four-letter organizations that tend to, tend to, you know, be part of this industry. So. so now, if you started the blog in 2001... Correct. ...when there were so many fewer software solutions available to support mm -hmm. blogging, yeah. are you still using the same software? I am, actually, and it's, um, I use, I use blogger.com, um, and it's, uh, I guess more of a case of inertia than anything else. It's I, I don't right now. I right now don't have the time or inclination to you know, start something you know, something different. I've you know, I've enjoyed the platform that I'm using, and I still continue to use it, optimizing it as I go along. But um, I think it's important to note that I didn't I didn't start out saying you know darn it I'm going to I'm going to be a blogger or I'm going to be a PR blogger. Um, the fact is I wanted a, I wanted a way to up to update philgomes.com in a way that was um, firewall friendly, right? Because uh, before that, I would have to use some kind of FTP client if I wanted to update my site uh, in any real way. And, um, you know, various FTP clients that I used, uh, the firewall didn't like them and that, and that sort of thing. Um, and, of course, it's you know, considered bad form when you work in an organization to install unsanctioned software on your machine. and that sort of thing, and so, but, you know, I, somebody introduced me to blogger.com, I forget who now, and I, I looked at it, I was like, well, well, this is just a web page, you know, that I could just enter text in and update things on the fly, and that's how I started blogging. It wasn't at a conscious attempt to be a blogger, it was a strictly a practical matter uh, to be able to update my website whenever I wanted to. Now, since you started blogging, mm -hmm. uh, you were hired by Edelman as uh, the a senior counselor for online communications. Yes. Is that the correct title? Yes. Yes. And so you, you caught the attention of, uh, you know, the largest independent PR firm in the world, and they yeah. hired you. <laughs> yes. I mean, are you surprised? Um, I do have some kick-me moments uh, where it's just kind of like, you know, wow, I mean, this, th this is the stuff that I've been talking about for like four years, and, and now, um, you know, here's a company that uh, saw the value in it. Um, you know, there's a, there's a great misnomer, I think, that uh, that 
Um, all the innovation happens at uh, small to boutique shops and at large agencies are these sort of gigantic lumbering, you know, behemoths, right? Um, and, you know, it was, it was kind of funny. I went from uh, you know, small to medium-sized agencies to a consultancy of three. Um, and I, I, going from that consultancy of three to a company with 43 offices worldwide, 2,000 employees, um, and it took that move to find a place where, um, you know, that kind, those kind of ideas and that kind of thinking were appreciated. Um, we, um, for example, when I, when I was part of a smaller consultancy, we had a blog. I, I actually shuttered the philgomes.com blog for six months, right? Um, because I w was with a sort of a um, loosely affiliated group of folks, and I figured I only had time for one blog. And we, uh, we had a blog on, on this sort of, I don't want to call it an agency, but you know, just sort of the, the site that represented this loose affiliation of known quantities that we called sort of a startup PR firm. And um, that was for about six months. And um, the, the financial analyst, Dan Niles, uh, had, a, had a, a great saying where he said, uh, being early to market feels a lot like being wrong. <laughs> And um, after about three months, uh, that blog just sort of uh, sort of shuttered, and we decided to you know throw more of our efforts and more of our marketing towards you know more mainstream pursuits, and um, and so it's really funny if you go to I think it's um, uh, July uh, July two thousand three of Phil's blog observations. It says. Okay, I'm shuttering this blog. Goodbye. I'm moving my blogging efforts somewhere else. And then the next post you see is from January that says, "And we're back, sports fans." <laughs> and here we are at Phil's blog observations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but uh, you know, as the comedian Ron White says, you know, I told you that story to tell you this one. And uh, the story with this one is that yeah, I had to move from uh, kind of a smaller uh, agency environment um, to you know, the lo the world's largest independent agency. But um, you know, it, it's very clear that the uh, that the agency is very passionate about um, blogs and word of mouth marketing and social media. Uh, we generate quite a bit of intellectual property uh, in terms of you know white papers and studies. The most recent one with IntelliSeq, I'm sorry, with uh, Technorati. Uh, there was one with IntelliSeq before that, um, and of course you know Richard Edelman blogs. Um, and so I want to talk for a minute about your experience since you've been there. Sure. Um, and you said something very profound, or you quoted the analyst Dan Niles about early, early to market feels like being wrong. Yeah. And you know, all of us in this community, you know, we we pat each other others backs, and uh, we're very congenial and uh, in agreement with each other about uh, the importance and impact of new media to uh, the field of communications and marketing and public relations and even advertising. Mm -hmm. But uh, so many outside of our sector, uh, to so many outside of our sector, uh, we're early to market. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I know that I get out there quite often, and I'm standing before uh, a client, and I'm talking about these new uh, potential channels, and um, a lot of times they don't get it. Mm -hmm. Now, you're, I know, on a plane, you know, once a week, you're all over the all over the country, meeting with clients. I mean, tell me, how, how's it going? I mean, well, are, 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 are they getting it or are they not? I'd have to say they are. Um, they understand its value. Um, and there have been, I think, as an industry, we've been fortunate to have 
some very dramatic case studies that um, that people can't afford to mishandle it or do it wrong, right? Um, th- there is what I, what I like to call um, I've always called, and this is <laughs> this is no slight against your previous guest, um, but there's something I like to call Wall Street Journal syndrome. And Wall Street Journal syndrome is that that quaint moment that every PR person has in a client relationship, where you've where it, it's the end of the year, you've blown the doors off of every single measurement variable that you possibly could have. You know, PR, you could say that you can tie PR to an increase in sales, increase in market share, increase of share of mind, you know, with, you know, with whatever objective measure that you choose to, to use. You know, you've depositioned your competitors. You've done all these things, completely knocked the cover off the ball. And then it always comes to that sort of quaint moment where one asks, well, where's my hit in the Wall Street Journal? Or where's my hit in Fortune or Forbes or that sort of thing? And so it sometimes it always comes down to um, the the person in the corner office, what that person's favorite magazine is. And unfortunately, that continues to be the case. Um, but what happens is, um, in cases where one is, is presented with Wall Street Journal syndrome, and I'm not saying that, that these publications aren't important. I, they're exceedingly important. But um, in those cases, you can only point to things like, for example, Jeff Jarvis and Dell, right? Where if you took... Um, Jeff Jarvis's first post um, about the so-called Dell Hell, right? Um, and if you trace the timeline between that and um, uh, when the story hit uh, Business Week, actually, that's a nine-week gap. So just for those people who aren't aware of sure. what happened, uh, he bought a computer, right? And he was displeased with the serv- customer service. With the customer received. service, yeah. And wh- what was his course of action? Uh, he posted something that I I, th- I think his first post was something like that said like Dell sucks or something like that and uh, I believe uh, last time I checked which was a couple of months ago I think he was Google result number five for the phrase Dell sucks um, and you know after a while as as he chronicled his you know increasing displeasure with um, the Dell customer service um, other people in the blogosphere um, Jason Calacanis Robert Scoble Steve Rubell um, just sort of started linking to this and it kind of you know piled on until you know, the voices started getting louder and louder and louder and there wasn't at least conspicuous ev- evidence that the company was listening and um, you know you fast forward you know several weeks later and there it is you know front of books you know near front of book story in the, in, in Business Week and um, I think it's uh, I think it was like Dell in the blog house or something like that was the headline. And to somebody or to a group of people that have this, you know, you know, business media or you have failed <laughs> philosophy, then you can point to them and say, well, look, um, do you value coverage in this magazine? Answer is probably yes. Well, okay. It, isn't it important to at least listen to what these communities are saying to get an idea of trends, ideas, you know, opportunities and potential threats, Right. And that's one thing that I always have to counterbalance is, uh, and this is especially so in uh, when I've done lectures at San Francisco State and that sort of thing, is that people like to focus on potential threats in the blogosphere. And, and no matter how many times you can tell somebody about the opportunities, um, especially in the classroom environment, um, you know, the tinfoil hats come out, you know, and <laughs> there's a certain, you know, kind of paranoia. But um, I think people now are, especially in the past couple of months, have really started to embrace the, the opportunities that are available. 
and um, and the discussions I think that while somebody might believe that you know their people are, are you know trying to stay away from the blogs and maybe people um, read that that uh, cover story in Forbes um, you know attack of the blogs that sort of thing that was you know, people just you know completely um, you know, had a severe very much had a severe reaction to that article while it's it's you know while it's easy to say that most of most corporations see blogs as a threat um, I happen to take a contrarian view I happen to think that people are just now turning that corner and starting to see where those opportunities are so is your uh, practice primarily focused on blogging, or are you looking at online communications in a broader sense? Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, yes to both, actually. Um, one of the things that I would want to make sure that Edelman does not do is I've seen a lot of this w when prior to joining Edelman, right? There was a tendency to um, say, um, you know, for agencies to say, agencies to say, we have a blogging practice. We have a blogging practice, and they just sort of charge into the marketplace with these, with you know, the word blogs slathered in war paint on their shields, right? And they're just you know charging into the marketplace like that. And the tendency was, I think, to use the word blog to spice up or um, make sexier otherwise bland plans, right? And so you'd have a very traditional PR plan and then bolt onto it, oh, by the way, here's our blog strategy. You know, and they just sort of, you know, snap it right on. And I think that's a, I think that's a mistake. Um, and what, I, what I've been really encouraged by since I've joined Edelman is that um, there is a very strong sense that um, the online program needs to for lack of a better term, melt into the program, the, the, the overall communication strategy. And that by sort of inelegantly bolting it on, um, it just, just sort of misses the point. And, and it, it becomes more of a marketing exercise than an actual practical solution for a client. Um, people need to look at blogs as a tool. Um, and uh, there's a great, I, I believe it's uh, Black & Decker's marketing mantra. Um, People, people don't buy Black & Decker products because they need quarter-inch drill bits. People buy Black & Decker products because they need quarter-inch holes, right? And so, um, you know, people should be in the business of saying, okay, well, if you've got that quarter-inch hole, we need to, you know, figure out what the proper solution is for you. And there are certain things for which I think a blog is great, is the perfect tool, is the perfect thing that a company needs to, you know, provide a platform for open communication, you know, two-way communication, listening to their audience and, you know, participating in those conversations. Um, but I don't think it's for everybody. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's what I see as part of my role is, I mean, I think it would be very easy, particularly with the energy around blogs these days, right? I think it would be very easy to, to try to sell a blog to everybody. Because, uh, you know, people got that Business Week, you know, May 2nd, 2005 issue. Uh, blogs will change your business. Catch up or catch you later, right, is what it said. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure that landed on every Dilberti and pointy-haired man, pointy manager's desk. 
And they looked at it, and, okay, blogs are important, you know, Johnson, make it so. <laughs> and, you know, poor Johnson has to run around and, and take care of it. Um, but, again, got to think of, you know, quarter-inch drill bits, quarter-inch holes, right? That, that's really the way to look at it, I think. So tell me, how is PR changing as a result of new media and digital conversations? Sure. Um, you know, I'll admit... It's in fits and starts, right? I mean, there are dramatic, um, dramatic examples of um, you know PR companies or PR practitioners um, you know, that have you know fumbled you know here and there, and uh, which are easy to you know jump up and down, point at, and ridicule. Um, I don't think that's a very creative use of the discussion, I think. And in fact, that's one of my New Year's resolutions that I had on my blog, is that let's stop pointing up and down, you know, jumping up and down, pointing and jeering at people that are so-called, you know, getting it wrong. Let's focus on how people can get it right, okay? Um, but, you know, I, I think that you know, everybody here is in the learning game, right? And so y you've seen, you know, um, ar you know, perpetually archived and, and very Googleable examples of, um, you know, really bad pitches that have, you know, been sent to the likes of Gawker and that sort of thing. And there's a new site uh, by early PR blogger Kevin Dugan, you know, the Bad Pitch Blog, which I'm sure you've seen, right? That archives these things. Um, but at the same time, you know, people are realizing that um, traditional uh, media relations techniques and PR techniques are an awfully blunt instrument. Um, uh, when I teach classes, um, you know, the way I look at it is you, know, you look at uh, the blogosphere as one big giant conversation, right? Uh, let's think of it as a you know, um, you know, a lot of people you know say, well, think of it as a party, right? And that sort of thing. Well, okay, fine. Um, if we were at a party and I walked up to you and I shook your hand and I said, um, you know. Hello, Eric. Uh, my name is Phil Gomes. I am seamlessly integrated, feature-rich, robust, and an end-to-end -end solution. Um, you'd feel pretty icky, wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> or at least think that I was completely off my rocker. And um, and the, the, that's very similar to you know instances where you see these very blunt instruments like press releases, for example, or email form letters, or that sort of thing, uh, ending up in bloggers' email boxes, which you know provide very, very rich fodder for, for ridicule. Um, but I think that, you know, when I was, when I was interview when I was in the process of interviewing for Edelman, um, I, I did some very, very deep research, and I, I came across a, a speech or a transcript or a news story or a marketing document, I forget now which, but um, I believe it was Dan Edelman who said something to the effect of um, producing journalistic quality content on behalf of clients. And I thought that was kind of provocative, and I was like, you know, that, that, that's, that's really interesting. And then I, then I thought, okay, well, what's, what's version 2.0 of that, right? And version 2.0 of that has to be uh, conversation-worthy content, right? And I think by definition, conversation-worthy content means that it's relatively free of buzzwords, <laughs> you know, that it's, it's honest and open, and um, when necessary, admits fault, right? Um, and and I think that I think that um, online communities are are starved for um, honest, open communication with 
with companies. Um, but but if we look at some of the recent events we've seen in the mainstream media, uh, Rathergate or uh, Eastern Jordan's departure from CNN, yeah. uh, two cases where the media was not quick to respond yeah. and unable to really uh, quiet the storm as a result of, in some cases, uh, conservative bloggers uh, rising up in arms. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, it's not, it's not like they're not producing journalistic quality content. Indeed, they are. But uh, it, they don't seem to be able to participate in the conversation, at least up to now. Well, I, again, I think as they em- embrace the ethos and embrace the tools and that sort of thing, I think corporations will be able to, um, you know, once they once they see the examples of people who have done it right and what an empowered, credible, honest evangelist can do for their company, um, you know, people like a like a Robert Scoble, for example, who um, who realizes that if he was up there beating his chest about, you know, how great the tablet PC is. And uh, how great Windows Vista is, and that sort of thing. If, if his blog was nothing but that, um, you know, people would stay away in droves, right? But um, but he's he's also pointed out, hey, you know what? We you know as a company, we've messed up here, 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 and here, um, and this is how we're planning on fixing it, right? Um, or this is where I feel we need to go. And then even took the um, provocative step. If you remember uh, the whole thing about. Uh, Domestic partners and um, uh, insurance coverage, right? Uh, so, I mean, I think people look at examples like that and and start to realize, you know, okay, th- there there's a lot of value to this, right? I, I struggle. So I struggle with it because um, a company like Microsoft, and and I should say, you know, I'm reading Naked Conversations yeah. right now. I'm enjoying it very much. Most of the time, I, I don't finish a book. I start it, and I don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm real guilty of that. This one, it looks like I'm actually going to finish, yeah. and I'm enjoying it very much. Uh, but I, th- I think it's he's got it. You know, he's got it a lot easier because sure, there are a lot of people who are critical of a company like Microsoft. But you look at CBS or you look yeah. at CNN. These are organizations that are media companies, and so they are talking. That's what they do for a living. Yeah. They talk. They're just not built to listen. And mm-hmm. what it would take to listen, I mean, if we look at what happened to the ombudsman who does the blog, uh, the Washington Post, which I actually heard is back up now, but uh, it was shuttered as a result of the inability to moderate comments and the use of profanity, as we saw in the mm-hmm. LA Times with the Wikitorial experiment uh, meeting with the same fate. Uh, is it possible that the mainstream media is going to have to totally reorganize and put as many people on the listening side as, as are on the, on, the, on the talking side. And I think that's inevitable. Um, it's, uh, it's certainly something that, for example, that Dan Gilmore is very passionate about, right? Um, the Center for Citizen Media and that sort of thing. Uh, H- have you read his book? I'm in it. <laughs> and is, is, is it a great book? It is. It is. And I, and I say that not just because I'm footnote number 99 in the book but um, <laughs> not that I vanity skipped at any point but um, but yeah I think I think it's a good I, I think it's a good guide that a CNN uh, should read I'm so glad um, you mentioned that because I actually just ordered it on Amazon I've actually been trying to book Dan for this <laughs> podcast <laughs> aggressively for months now <laughs> 
<laughs> and I'm hoping to be able to get the opportunity to corner him at to the Newcom Forum. At the Newcom Forum? Yes. Okay. Well, I'll be there too. So, <laughs> Dan, if you're listening, Eric's a really great guy. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the five bucks after the podcast. <laughs> But back to uh, back to how PR is changing. Sure. You mentioned before we turned on the the recorder. Yeah. Uh, th- that uh, the feeling is that that SEO and PR online are the same thing, and that they're not. So talk about that. I need. I need. Yeah. I need to qualify that a little bit. I um. One of the things I mentioned on my blog fairly recently, which is why I sort of you know brought that up before we before we got online here, is um. I think that you know we we are presented with so many wonderful tools these days, aren't we? Um, we are presented with um, things like tagging, right? Which I think, which I th- was originally a huge skeptic, and now I am a huge fan of. Um, and I can I can talk about that transition probably in another time, but um, I. What I'm, what I started to see a focus on around just, the just New to, Year's. Just to qua- just to back up for one second, sure. for those of us who don't know, because a lot of us who listen to this uh, show, okay, yes, are executives and media companies and entertainment companies and technology companies. Sure. What's tagging? Tagging is a means by which um, people, just like you, know, you and I and everybody else listening, um, are able to collaborative collaboratively organize the data that they consume by the use of various keywords. Okay, now um, now tell us, uh, you know, regular language. <laughs> For example, uh, let's say if um, if I'm, you know, reading a, a set of uh, articles online, and uh, let's say I find one that is particularly interesting, uh, there are social bookmarking sites where people say to that site and make it available to anybody else who cares to visit said site, um, this is what I'm reading and this is what I find interesting. Right. So kind of like so the favorites. So I instead of saving the favorites in my Internet Explorer and having it just available on one computer, I can now save favorites on the web. You're sharing your bookmarks with the world. And, and I can have different groups of favorites based on keywords, based right? Based on these, these tags, these, okay. these keywords. So you, you were I saying you're a fan of tagging. I'm then. a fan. I used to be a skeptic because um, I used to think that um, these things would just sort of get tomato tomatoed to death. Um, you know, blogs about... Um, jogging blogs about running, right? You know, some people use the term, you know, however incorrectly as you know, synonymous. Would I miss? I was always afraid. Well, would I miss something necessarily if I if I, um, you know, listen to one and not the other? And the self-organizing aspect of it has just amazed me. Um, so that's where I've I've sort of turned that corner. Uh, but in any case. We ha- we have these these tools available to us, I think, and it's e- it's easy to be so enthusiastic about them and so sed- almost seduced by them that we would that a lot of people I think would would like to think that it is sort of a, a, a light switch or a tonic or an elixir that makes your content more meaningful and more findable just by itself, and it certainly makes it more findable, right? But does it make it more meaningful, more persuasive, and that sort of thing? And I think that. Um, search engine optimization tricks and that sort of thing um, are are exceedingly important for today's PR professional to learn. However, I'm I'm starting to see more attention being paid to things like that and less about, for example, the craft of writing, 
the craft of persuasion, right? Um, I was talking to somebody, um, I was at a retreat at the USC Annenberg Communication School, and somebody asked me, what marketing book do you recommend? What marketing book do you read? And I say, actually, there's only one marketing book that I carry with me every business trip I go, Aristotle's Rhetoric. Aristotle had it nailed <laughs> millennia ago um, in terms of uh, thinking atomically what are the basic, basic nuggets of persuasion. And um, I think once somebody reads that and starts to develop a foundation based on that, then you can read other marketing books, um, you know, the ones that are, you know, the very good ones that are, you know, very you know, popular today for, and, for, and for good reason. Um, and suddenly that becomes a lot more meaningful. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, my, again, my, you've heard me mention my New Year's, re New Year's resolution post a few times now. Um, and one of the things I would like to see, particularly in the online PR community, is that f for as much energy as being paid towards um, yeah, uh, tagging, for example, and uh, you know, keyword optimization and all that stuff, I'd, I'd really like the discussion to move towards, well, the, the science and art of persuasion, um, as we've learned it up to, up to date, um, how does that at all change online? if at all? It's, um, a, it's a very interesting question. Certainly we see um, patients' thresholds evaporating. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can remember when I first got dial-up and then I got DSL and then that's not quick enough and mm. I, I need it right away. And if it's Stone not there, knives and bearskins, right? <laughs> if it's not there, I'm angry. <laughs> and I, I, It's like if I go to a website and I'm expecting to find information and it's not there, my impression is the lights are on nobody's home yeah. and you know when, when you talk about using written language to be persuasive online I know people don't read online yeah. they scan they search they save but they don't really read and in many cases you know having a, a carriage wide uh, text and uh, deeply dense uh, writing online I mean it seems to be a deterrent in many cases you know we have people like Ann Wiley Exposing the benefits of micro content and editing that written language so that it works in bullets, so that it's scanned. Exactly. But how in the world can you make a deep, meaningful point on the level of a uh, philosopher like Aristotle in well, bullet no, points? No, 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 you, you, you misunderstand. I, I'm not. I'm not advocating that we that we write. You know that the art of persuasion goes to, towards um, these very long. You know. Aristotelian treatises by any means, um, which would be silly. Uh, my uh, one, one of my professors at Annenberg said, um, "Forget oil, forget diamonds. Uh, the scarcest resource is attention." Right, um, and so part of that, how that craft of writing changes, especially when you go online, especially when uh, you consider all the inputs that people have day to day. Uh, between their RSS feeds, their email, their IM. Uh, I'm on Trillion, so I have five IM accounts going on at once. Um, you know, brevity really does become the soul of wit, doesn't it? And I think that, again, that, that's part of that persuasion. It's like, okay, you have to, you have to persuade somebody, uh, or at least 
articulate your point of view in a very meaningful way. At the same time, you've got that attention factor, right? At the same time, okay, it really does have to be you know, boiled down to bullet points, and that can be done, right? It's very possible to um, create a persuasive argument for the uh, deep-thinking yet ADD-addled generation. <laughs> I mean, it's it's perfectly you know it, it's perfectly possible. Um, and I think that's what people need to start thinking about is that, um, you know, one of the people that I, I, I loved working with was a guy named Bill Mandel, uh, used to be the, uh, um, the sort of the, one of the marquee columnists at the San Francisco Examiner. And then he, uh, started to write in the, uh, sort of in the, in the corporate realm, I guess you could say. And, uh, you know, he, he used to, he told me once, he said, uh, uh, writing is the user interface, right? Um, it's what you read on the web. In many cases, it's what you, it's what you're seeing on the TV news, you're hearing on the radio, and that sort of thing. You know, writing at the end of the day becomes the user interface, except in you know situations like ours where it's more you know extemporaneous, and and uh, the listeners have a certain expectation of a rather looser format. Um, and again, I, I just keep going back to this idea of um, really forcing people to think about creating a persuasive argument in the smallest space possible. Um, and, and, I th and I really think that's, that's where, where people need to go. I think that's a harder thing to learn than search engine optimization, for example. Now, I know you recently launched uh, Earshot, which yes. is a new podcast. Yes. And I had the pleasure of listening to the first episode uh, recorded from Davos. Oh, excellent. Cool. And right. I was uh, I thought it was great. Uh, Thanks. It was very interesting to hear different uh, points of view from various practitioners inside Edelman uh, attending uh, events like the Word of Mouth Marketing Organization and the Davos Economic Summit. And I, I like very much the way you've hosted it, the way you've got your segues in there. It sounds really great. Oh, thanks. Um, I'd like to find out a little bit uh, um, about how Edelman decided to do this. Oh, uh, okay. Did you evangelize it internally? And what did it take to sell it? And what are you hoping to get out of it? Why are you doing it? Oh, wow. Those are a lot of questions uh, with some inter entertaining stories behind them. Um, how did it get started? Uh, I was in New York on one of these trips uh, that you mentioned, and um, our vice chairman and head of our and, uh, head of our corporate practice is a gentleman named Michel Algrizek, who um, interviewed Loïc Lamour on that podcast that you were listening to, and uh, we had a summit about the topic of corporate communications. And um, afterwards, there was a dinner, and I was sitting there. I had. Uh, Mark Shadle, uh, EVP and GM of our corporate practice, he was on my left, and Richard Edelman was to my right. And Mark and I started talking about all things new media, all things podcasting, that sort of thing. And, and I was just kind of scratching my head. I was like, you know, there's no reason why we can't, uh, an agency the size of Edelman and, you know, with its you know depth and breadth and and, and global reach. There, there's no reason why we can't re we can't participate in the potosphere. And actually, we've got a lot of content just sort of lying around that um, people might find interesting. And it was Mark who had the idea. He goes, "I have it." He goes, 
our debut episode should be Richard Edelman phoning in um, dispatches from the World Economic Forum in Davos. And uh, Richard was to my right, and he heard that, and he just sort of pointed to the to the two of us and just was like, go. <laughs> you know, make it so, right? Like Just like on Star Trek. And um, and so I was like, okay, this we, we got buy-off from the CEO. Let's, let's do this. And, um, uh, you know, it, it wasn't, it, it was, it wasn't, you know, terribly difficult to, to put together. I mean, we, um, what we did was we, we just made sure that, um, we put an infrastructure in place that where we could pull audio content from anywhere. Right. Now, now and it sounds to me like, um, like Richard Edelman is actually phoning in his dispatch. That's exactly Dallas. what he did. And <laughs> yeah. where did he call it into? He called it. Um, we gave him two options. Um, one was um, he knew when I was going to be at my desk at various times, and uh, we use a, a, a little black box called VoicePath, which uh, hooks into our Cisco IP phones that we have in most of our offices in the U.S. And uh, I just hook it up into, you know, the recording software on my laptop and go. That's how we did those two. Uh, but as another option, we used audio blog, right? So if, if it was 2 in the morning um, Pacific time, uh, there was still a place where he could dial it up and just leave whatever thought, you know, he wanted. Um, and what I want to know, sure. I want, if you can, tell sure. me. You know, I know that when I try to leave the message on my answering machine, mm-hmm. I usually get it the first time pretty close, but then I figure out oh, I can do it better, and I literally wind up there recording that <laughs> answering machine message <laughs> over 12 times. So, I mean, do you get 12 and then, you know, a little message that says, by the way, use the last one? No, no, no. The the, the two that you heard from Richard were uh, phoned into me, and I mastered it live, and both were single take. Um, both both of those sessions were single take, as was, of course, the uh, the discussion between Loic and, and Michelle about um, about blogging at Davos, right? Uh, and and then uh, the third segment that you heard was our uh, Rick Murray, our EVP and GM of um, what we call Diversified Services at Edelman, uh, talking with uh, some of the other delegates that we sent to the Word of Mouth Marketing Association's basic training. And that was another you know, voice path session. Um, now, the middle interview with Loic and um, and Michelle was done using a, a solid-state Morantz unit. Um, we had um, uh, one of our other delegates to the forum was uh, a woman named Laura Deal, uh, Senior Vice President of Business Development in New York. And uh, she was great in terms of, you know, getting those those interviews and, um, and uh, sending us the MP3s and and we would just you know, drop them right in. And uh, it's been very exciting I, it, because when I sort of announced to the global agency, um, by the way, we're podcasting. <laughs> um, and the enthusiasm about it um, was was incredible. Um, not, and, it, and it wasn't that sort of irrational exuberance enthusiasm, kind of like, you know, but, but it was... People, the, the responses that I got back were these really creative ideas of, oh, wow, you know, we can do this, we can do this. And the best part about it is they were all ideas that people would would want to listen to, right? I, I don't think people would listen to Earshot 
if um, it was just us talking to our clients or us talking to our partners or that sort of thing. But um, it's it's almost like it, 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 it just sort of amazed me. I described it, in fact, just today, I described it to somebody as like a content El Dorado, right? Is, you know, the idea that, you know, it's it's gold everywhere that you could just sort of bend over and pick up, right? And um, and I think that's, and that's my goal for Earshot is... Um, you know, not so much a pure marketing instrument, although I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, it, it does market our thinking and it does market um, our philosophies to you know, anybody who cares to either subscribe or download a la carte, right? Um, but, you know, if it were, I think if it were a pure marketing instrument, people would, would you know, stay away. And, and but let's say you have... Uh, a client mm -hmm. who has something really interesting to say, mm -hmm. and you think that it would be, make good content and be good gold to pick up and feature yeah. in earshot, would you not do it because they're a client? On principle, no. I mean, but my my thought is with earshot is that um, in that scenario, I don't want it to be, you know, us talking about how great we are and the client also telling us how great we are. <laughs> you know, I, 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 you know, correct well, me if I'm wrong, I don't think anybody wants to listen to that. Well, I agree. And but, but let's <laughs> but say I think, but I think for example, discussion that you could have. I mean, I know you guys represent a lot of interesting clients. Oh, yeah. And, and I, think they would ha I think they would have a lot to say in terms of um, uh, where I want to go with this in terms of, you know, very, you know, almost like NPR level, you know, kind of content, right? And I think a lot of our clients would have a lot to contribute. Um, would but you, you know, I have would to. Would you do that through Earshot, or would you perhaps get them involved in doing their own podcast? Um, you know, it depends. It depends. I, I think. I think Earshot. I mean, we're trying to focus on sort of the broad expanse of communications, right? Um, that, and as, as you can hear in the intro uh, to the first episode, we talk about. Look, we want to talk about political communications, online media, health, and you know, Edelman's very big in health. Uh, consumer packaged goods, that sort of thing. But you know, the the tie that's binding all of that is communications. Now, for uh, you know, if one of these clients wants to do their own podcast, the tie that binds that probably isn't going to be communications. If it's Acme Widgets Incorporated, they might want to hold forth about the you know socio-political ramifications of all things, all things in the widget industry. And there's a, a nice niche micro audience that would be. That would probably want to listen to that, right? Um, you know, depending on on how it's and how it's deployed. Uh, but yeah, I, I, the the point of Earshot is to really talk about uh, and, and provide a platform for just the broad expanse of of communication, the communications topic. I mean, and we also encourage very much um, not only comments, which you know people can leave on the site, or they can. Uh, or they can email it to us. You know, we have an earshot.com email address, and you know, it would be read on the air, quote unquote. Um, but what I encourage more is uh, people sending in MP3. Right? You know, I want to hear other voices. I, I want to hear. Um, I want it to be a really good platform for uh, talking about uh, communications. And you know, we try to keep it short, but. Uh, um, you know, we, we've already gotten uh, we've already gotten some inputs from people who whose you know comments want to be on the next episode, and that's very encouraging. 
um, and it shows that that people are interested in what we have to say. Um, but we we try to, you know, while it's clear that it's a marketing um, a marketing exercise certainly, but we we're, we're looking at it with sort of a, a journalistic sense too. And I think that you need to look at these things from a journalistic sense in order to um, obtain and retain uh, a listenership. So, Phil Gomes, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Eric. And now we are going to play for you the short interview with Steve Rubell. Uh, it runs uh, about six minutes. Uh, he talks about um, his mandate uh, as the uh, vice president, uh, a new vice president, uh, I think senior vice president actually, uh, at Edelman, uh, where he will be working directly with uh, Phil Gomes and uh, some of the other folks uh, on the team there. And uh, sounds like a very exciting opportunity for him. So um, I'm going to play this interview for you, interview for you now, and uh, thanks so much for listening. Steve Rubell, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. Well, this is the second time we, we're we're having you on on the podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. And uh, you have some big news to announce, I know. Yes. Uh, so the news is is that I am leaving uh, Cooper Katz and I am joining up with Edelman as a senior vice president on February 27th. What is your mandate? My mandate is really to is to work with the this incredible team that they have, and one uh, help bring you know bring in new business uh, that is in the in the in the realm of of conversational marketing, which they actually like to call Me Too. Uh, me too. Uh, me too. Revolution, and uh, that's one part of it. And the other part is to work with with the existing clients to to help them uh, figure out where and how and and they might apply all these different great uh, tools that are out there and and for communicating. And so that's that's my goal as as, as I see it is to really be part of this brain trust and to do that. Do you think uh, all the other big agencies are ultimately going to follow suit? Um, yes, I, I definitely think they are going to to follow suit. Um, I think that the big agencies are are going to hire people who have the skill set to do this, and I think then it will be incumbent upon them to uh, to use those folks to really evangelize and train the entire workforce if they're not doing it themselves already. From a uh, strategic standpoint, when you're planning a campaign to promote a client. Uh, so often one uh, considers how to introduce news and information into the community uh, in a way that will allow uh, you to build organic momentum behind that news. Uh, so, for example, I mean, uh, the old uh, uh, tried-and-true uh, uh, tactic, if you can do it, is or used to be, you know, you try to get the journal or the New York Times first, and obviously those guys set the editorial uh, coverage tone for many other magazines in the consumer uh, side and on the trade side and other newspapers take their lead from them broadcasters take their lead from them where in the ladder of exclusivity do the blogs fa fall i mean should we be looking to release news to the blogosphere first uh, before the new york times how's it going to all work well i think that, that there's no black and white answer to that it, 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 all, it all depends on your audience and who you want to reach so if your audience is um, is maybe 60-something-year-old CEOs in an industry that's not very heavily online-oriented, you know, um, like 
not not the tech industry, some other industry of some kind, like maybe the legal industry. <laughs> then then you know going to the blogosphere first may not be the place to start. Um, if you want to reach uh, you know people who hang out on MySpace, then then I think there could be obviously some elements of the campaign that starts in, in, this, in the social media first. What about other mainstream consumer categories like fashion? I think I think that the that the mainstream media right now has the biggest impact there. I think that I don't think that people have stopped reading WWD or you know the, or the Seven Sisters. I think they're called. Um, uh, so I think those markets right now are influenced primarily uh, through mainstream media. But, you know, what Edelman talks a lot about is this whole person like myself. So it's you know, as being the most trustworthy. So I think that if you look at that and you figure out, okay, well, where where do those people congregate? Um, it might be some offline event. You know, it might be that brings them together. So it's not always the, the blogosphere is the is the ticket to... to uh, to Nirvana when it comes to brand brand visibility, but I think you know it's increasingly important, and it's not just the blogosphere; it's all of word of mouth marketing. You know, what is what is word of mouth marketing? It's broader, far broader than than just blogs. Although increasingly, that tends to be one of the major uh, channels for it. It's it's all about how do you use word of mouth marketing to get consumers uh, sharing information between each other, and more importantly, to bring consumers into uh, into a, a sustained dialogue with corporations. Steve, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you, Eric. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.